0: Hello, this is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working With People by PaveStep. The Working With People podcast is for executives, managers, and people leaders. We bring in experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your talent. We have John here today. How are you, John? I'm well, Harrison. Thank you. Where are you calling in from?
1: Well, we're working remotely these days, so I'm calling in from Nantucket, posted of Massachusetts. How is Nantucket these days? Is it busy? Well, it's different than it's than it's been, I would think, at this time of year. I think that there are so many of us that are able to work remotely at the moment that there's probably an increase in the year-round population that they're not quite used to out here for the fall months. So I'm back and forth. Uh, We've opened our offices for access to employees that find some value in being there. So
0: Mm -hmm. I find myself
1: back and forth to Boston on a weekly basis, but this is a good place to retreat to in times
0: like this. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm jealous. I'm stuck here in New York City trying to stay sane as possible. (laughs) Awesome. So our topic today is on harnessing and leveraging the energy of youth for more senior roles in a company. But before we get there, tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Well,
1: first of all, thanks for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. I'm the chief operating officer at an investment management firm, and we manage money on behalf of institutions broadly defined endowments and foundations, corporate retirement plans, public entities like cities and municipalities. Right. And I grew up in business generally with kind of a sales tilt to the work that I've done, first in consumer products, then on Wall Street, and most recently in asset management. So I guess COO implies an operations focus, but, you know, in our business and at our firm, it really means that I'm focused on the business of our business and in a human capital-intensive business, that means a lot of time on people. Right. You know, I came to my current firm as a portfolio strategist, and while I remain a member of the investment team, I spend more of my time on other business issues at this juncture, and trading, and technology, and operations, and marketing, and product management,
0: and importantly, human resources. Perfect. Awesome. So let's dive right in. So what are some of the challenges of having a multi-generational workplace?
1: We've been around for about 30 years. And so there are some of us that have really grown up at the mm-hmm. firm and experienced working at the firm in a variety of different stages in our career, but real believers in the value of diversity on of writ large. And we manage our portfolios usually using a committee approach, which in mm-hmm. a sense highlights our contention that there's some value in discourse and debate between thoughtful people with differing viewpoints and is the real value is in the collective wisdom that results from that kind of engagement. Right. So diversity of background and experience and perspective has to include generational diversity, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's an important element of diversity that we try to harness. So in in one sense, a multigenerational workplace is a gift in that it adds to that interaction and hopefully the collective wisdom of the group. But, you know, as your question implies, it comes with some complexities, Right, and I think it's important to start by acknowledging the fact that every generation wants to do meaningful work and have an impact Mm -hmm. in business. And what we all endeavor to do is combine, and it gives you implied, you know, the energy and and speed of youth with maybe the wisdom and experience of age, while making sure everybody feels valued for their contributions. Right. So I don't know if that you know, there's some basic differences I guess that we need to manage at times. Hmm. I don't know some basic things like. Opinions about appropriate business dress, for example.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Right. Can lead some people to think that somebody's too rigid or is too loose and they may extrapolate that to expectations of a work product that
0: may or may not be accurate. That's you a know? very fair point. I spent a few years in financial services and an investment firm actually as well. And that's definitely a topic.
1: <laughs> for sure. And I joke, I'm from an advanced generation here. I've been around a while. You know, and I'll say quip and say things to people like, you know, casual dress leads to casual performance. And we all have it. We come at things differently. Dress for the job you want, not the job that you're in. And, right. and it can be filled with expectations that put people in a tough spot. And we've all had to evolve both prior generations and more recent generations in the business. Absolutely. What other challenges have you seen? A variety of things like maybe even communication styles mm. are different. And there can be a tendency to become frustrated with approaches that are different than what one might choose right face to face versus phone calls versus emails versus texts versus slack messages or you know more right. room calls i guess maybe one's perception of a work life balance you know this can be a mm, yeah. phrase for which there's little support from more senior people we can say it you know we really believe in work life balance but our behavior can sometimes suggest that You know, we believe in work-life balance for those that have earned it by not having it themselves for many years, right? Right. Our behavior sometimes can run counter to the rhetoric, and um, we need to evolve and be more sincere in in that approach.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. The the whole work-life balance challenge, I think, is definitely a big one in, you know, both professional services and kind of financial services areas, right? Oftentimes, traditionally, it's been kind of filled with, organizations that have or that are known to have a little bit of lack of work life balance right if you will and the new generations coming in i think especially with the rise of tech and the focus on work life balance and employee engagement you know that's definitely an interesting topic and challenge that's been you know top of mind for a lot of people as far as i can tell
1: yeah and listen i think a lot of what you hear from me today as we talk is that i've been around for a while so i have attitudes that were developed over years and i need to evolve with them And I think I can be guilty of that too, of the expectation that, hey, somehow accommodating work-life balance means you're sacrificing ambition or productivity. This is not the case, but I'm working from off of an old script. And, uh, you know, I've had to evolve with that as well.
0: Right. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. So. I think you touched on a lot of this already, but in your experience, what are some of the main, main differences that you notice at the workplace, whether it's yours or other partners or clients between the younger generation like millennials or Gen Zs versus the older generation like Gen X or baby boomers?
1: Well, it strikes me that boomers and Gen Xers have, have been conditioned to expect promotions and changes to their status. Forward progress is measured by promotions and the trappings Mm. of seniority. You know, that's sort of the world I grew up in. Right. Big titles, bigger offices, you know, some sort of unique access that you get as you move up. And maybe respect that's granted because of one's prior achievements Mm. or some kind of accumulated goodwill. Millennials, at least it appears to me, seem to be more focused on having high-velocity careers. You know, the opportunity to do more and be more challenged with real responsibility quickly, which is different. I mean, it's it's subtle, but it's different. And there also seems to be difference of an opinion on on the notion of that work-life balance as we just talked about. Right. This context with, you know, baby boomers from a generational standpoint, I think, you know, as I mentioned, they may regard work-life balance as something that's earned over the course of a career rather than granted throughout one's career. So millennials, by contrast, seem to be much more adept at, at maintaining some kind of balance without sacrificing perceived ambition in their own minds and, and amongst their peers. Mm. But the tension remains. From older generations, we got to get over that and not regard the desire for such a balance to be any indication of a lack of
0: real ambition. Right. Yeah, it's always a tricky balance. You're trying to bridge the gap. And of course, we're talking at a generalization level at the generations, but of course, it also depends a lot on the person, him or herself as well, right? So it's always a tricky balance. (laughs) Sure. Yeah.
1: I work with a a team in in HR and I often feel like they're trying to talk their dad into having a a more flexible understanding of an evolving work landscape. And it's great. I mean, to generationally to create the space, to change some opinions Mm -hmm. uh, about, you know, how we can structure an organization to really reflect the, you know, evolving interests of the people that we really need to accommodate to achieve our own goals as a firm.
0: Right. So focusing on the younger employees as they grow and climb the quote unquote ladder in the corporate environments. What are some of the skill sets or strengths that you see are most critical to their successes? Anything that comes to mind? Sure. Yeah. Look, and this is just going to be my opinion, but I should probably first start by acknowledging
1: that much of what I just said applies to me, right? So I've had to fight the inclination to judge young employees for doing things differently than I might have. I've also had to fight my inclination to suggest that everyone needs to be patient and pay their dues my views have evolved, but it's still in me. And I think it's in others like me. And where I think I've landed is the idea that young employees should see the benefit of taking a long view Mm. and managers of young people should recognize the benefit of seeing the potential in younger people and feeding their ambition with more to do. So I found myself in the past thinking that some young um, up-and-comers should calm down and not get too big for their britches. But what I've come to realize is that when I've gotten out of my comfort zone and tasked very talented young people with more responsibility, I'm consistently impressed with the results. So you asked me about skill sets that are critical to their success. I think one important characteristic of the winner's in this regard, is they don't hide the fact that they're new to the role. I had a football coach right, who used to tell offensive players that when they get in the end zone, act like they've been there before. And Anybody that's played the sport will know the expression. But I think I've always thought that if I acted like the new guy, it would negatively impact how I was perceived. Right. Those that are successfully climbing the ladder actually capitalize on being new. They ask a lot of basic questions. They assume very little. You know, they dig in everywhere and develop their own sense of how things are done and perhaps how they should be done. And they, they also ask comfortable challenging the status quo and they look for ways that things are done and aren't afraid to ask why. And and oftentimes when people are confronted with a question, people like me are confronted with a question, they're relieved that it's been asked. And you know, this opens up others to their, the refreshing prospect of developing a better way, not being afraid to be new in the role is really an important characteristic.
0: Yeah. I love the fact that you brought this up because this is not something that's often talked about, but I know exactly what you're talking about, because there's always younger employees, especially if they're dealing with senior managers or senior executives in their day-to-day role for whatever reason, you know, they feel like they have to come off credible, right? And oftentimes that Look of credibility, the way we think about it is like hey we've got to look like we know what we 're doing, <laughs> yeah, um, and you want to hide the fact that you know you haven't actually become an expert in this particular area, whatever it may be and and you're exactly right when these employees become more comfortable with themselves and feel more secure in what they know and what they don't know and are able to own that that's when they start actually developing and asking the right questions. So I know exactly what you're talking about. It really resonates with me.
1: Yeah, and and you only get one chance to be new at anything. (laughs) So once you've squandered that opportunity, then nobody will be patient for the basic questions. So you're right, though. It's all well-intended. It's typically intended to demonstrate that you haven't made a mistake with somebody by giving them more to do, as might be evidenced by a bunch of questions that are asked. But, no, those questions are really critical in the beginning. We try to encourage that with our newly promoted
0: employees. Awesome. Coming on to the questions around engagement and support strategy, how do you think about engaging and supporting from your perspective to really leverage this energy and experience in the curiosity that the younger generations have in their workplace? How do you think about that tactically? I have some old
1: school notions, as I mentioned to you a couple of times that I need to shake a little, but I've carried myself professionally with the idea that if you do your job with excellence every day, things will take care of themselves. And to a certain extent, that remains true. Mm-hmm. But a well pay your dues kind of a mentality can have a negative effect on high achieving young employees. Right. When individuals feel like they're marking time, you can lose the productive energy of your best people. So I think organizations can de-emphasize the notion of paying your dues and, and maybe place more emphasis on job mastery and, and having a positive impact. So I think companies can do things like establishing mentorship programs to complement their performance assessment and development training. There's purposeful tension in reporting relationships, right? The person that's responsible for assessing your performance is also the person that's going to be tasked with taking ownership for your career progress. Well, this doesn't always create circumstances that are conducive to complete candor. So I think we've found that introducing a formal mentoring program can create – Circumstances where aspirational young achievers can benefit from the wisdom of an established colleague where the relationship is disconnected from the day to day and performance assessment and and the relationship can center on navigating the evolving challenges confronting an employee on the move. So we found that to be helpful. I I think that's one way that organizations can help to harness some of that energy inherent in in young people.
0: Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And one of the previous employers that I worked for the founding partner made it a point to whenever we would have team huddles to ask the juniors, the new employees, very critical questions like, so what do you think about this project? And if you're a junior, you better be ready. <laughs> but those are really awesome points of time where, you know, we felt comfortable to answer as honestly as we thought. Not only did I learn from that, but also others learned from it as well. So so those are you know, those are great things to do for sure.
1: Well, it's voice equity, right? That's making sure you're hearing from people. That's culturally, it's great to draw out those perspectives. And I think something that goes along with that, Harrison, too, is the idea that managers and organizations should avoid making assumptions about the ambitions of their people, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So candid conversations, whether that's one-on-one mentoring or in an all-hands meeting like you just described, candid conversations about career progress means to the individual are important. I've made that mistake a bunch. What does progress look like? Right. For the individual? What can the individual help the organization understand how the organization can get there and maybe how the realization of their own ambition would benefit the organization as a whole? right? So that's, I guess, just another way of trusting the individual enough to give them some responsibility for defining progress. And so that can either happen when they're talking about the business or what one might think of a project, as you just described. Or in a more specific
0: conversation about the, the employee and what they can be doing to contribute to the business. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, those are all the serious questions I had. I have one fun one, one for you. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously many of us have been working remote and a lot of the, you know, activities have been shut down or minimized due to the whole pandemic and the lockdown here. What's the first activity, you know, that you are really missing? Or what the first activity you're going to go back to as soon as all of this is over. Well, I got to tell
1: you, I mean, as much as we all have benefited from, or many of us have benefited from the changing circumstances and adding a couple of hours to our day of productivity without a commute and move to the office environment. I got to tell you, I miss the routine of the office environment. There's a million things about being in the office that I think is going to impact us negatively if we don't find a way to be back there in some manner, if not all the time, in some manner, there's a benefit to being together. We really believe that. I think one of the things I'm going to look forward to going back to is the routine of going to the gym before or after work and the com- <laughs> community associated with that. Yeah. The casual opportunity to gather with colleagues over a beer at the close of business is something that I'm looking forward to. And you, know, you can only do so many Zoom socials as they, yeah, <laughs> to replicate that kind of an environment. But I think that's something I look forward to too. Is some of the structure, the day to day, some of the community that extends beyond just the workday, but into the social elements of the workday, be that at a at a gym or at a tavern. I'm looking forward to that. Now I'm saying that hopefully not within earshot of my wife or family. I don't want to
0: suggest that I don't enjoy the time with them as well. But uh, there's a balance in there. I think that we all see. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time here, John. I think this has been extremely, extremely insightful, and I think our audience would you know, benefit from all of your wisdom. So thank you again for your time. It's entirely my pleasure, Harrison. I enjoyed talking to you. Awesome. And where can the audience find you and your thought leadership?
1: So we're at Westfield Capital Management. We've got a presence on the web. You can read a little bit about some of the, our insights into the market there, You know, in the form of a few white papers and some reference to the, the work we do in investing. On behalf of clients and institutions. Beyond that, in terms of my insights, harder to to share those in that forum for a lot of regulatory reasons, but uh, that would be
0: the best way. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again, John. I really do appreciate your time. All right, Harrison. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to the Working With People by PaveStep. Feel free to check out other episodes on pavestep.com slash podcast.